We are in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. Uh, we're going to read through those verses. What it's, it's Nehemiah. There's a whole other problem for Nehemiah. Uh, there's going to be uh, three different attempts to distract uh, him from the work. We're going to find out the wall is done at the beginning of chapter 6. The wall is done. The gates are built but there's no doors on them yet. There's no way to shut the gates yet. They've still got to set the doors, which would be wooden, and uh, the beams to keep them locked. They need to be set. That's what's going to be taking place during chapter 6, apparently is the setting of the wooden doors and the beams. Uh, in chapter 6, verse 15, it's going to be done. The walls will be announced as done with functioning gates in verse 15. But as we begin this, we're we're at the, towards the end of the 52-day period. Uh, we've seen different uh, uh, attacks on Nehemiah, including uh, you know, a, a threatened military attack. And now you're going to see, and again, this is, again, I, I, for me, and again, I may be reading into it, it sounds so much like our world today, or our government today, and the politics that is going on, and the and, uh, you know, you say one thing, but you're doing another thing, and you're trying to help, but you're really not trying to help. You're trying to set the other person up so they look like ridiculous. Anyway, that's what's going to be going on in Nehemiah. It's like nothing's changed. And remember, Nehemiah is the governor of Judah. He was sent by, by Artaxerxes. He's served Artaxerxes in his chambers, meaning inner circle of the, the palace. He's the wine bearer, uh, cup bearer which means he's as close to Artaxerxes, has had personal conversations with Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is still the king and the emperor, but Nehemiah is as close as a man can get, apparently, uh, and yet he's Jewish. And so he would have resources from Artaxerxes, but he's got incredible support from Artaxerxes and trust. Artaxerxes trusted Nehemiah with what he put in his mouth to drink. His father had been killed, and his older brother had been killed, Xerxes, his, his father and his older brother, uh, had been killed in those very chambers where he lived and Nehemiah functioned. So it's going to be hard to bring Nehemiah down and cast a shadow on him. But, of course, they're going to try. And Nehemiah also is not a young wannabe upstart, want to be a governor someday, uh, and got voted into office. He was just maybe a, you know, uh, if he's a wine bearer, he could have been a bartender and just got voted into Congress, and now he's making all these TikToks and stuff, making statements. That's not Nehemiah. Nehemiah has been in the inner chambers of the Persian Empire where there's been an assassination of the emperor. Uh, he's seen all the palace schemes. He's, he's a trained dignitary. He, he knows what he's doing. And in fact, you could picture him here in where he's at in Judah with Samaria. Sanballat is up here. You're going to have over in Ammon, you've got Tobiah, just on the other side of the Jordan, called Trans-Euphrates or Ammon. This is Ash Asdod right here, which is, again, the Gaza Strip. Uh, it was formerly the Pal uh, uh, Philistines. And the Arabs, Gershom, which is this area here, Arabia, has come up into Edomia, drove the Edomites out of uh, Edom, and is up here in the southern territory, and he's actually got a palace right here. 
So Nehemiah is surrounded by hostile forces. They are using Jerusalem and Judea for their own benefit. They don't want Jerusalem to have its, its own direction, its own profit. Uh, and Nehemiah does. He wants a wall. He wants a gate. He wants business. He wants the trade routes open. He wants to make Judah great again. When Judah becomes great, these people lose their playground, whatever they're doing, and they are definitely enemies. Uh, but Nehemiah has come from Susa and has come to the backwaters of the Persian Empire, and Gershom and the people of Ashdod and Sanballat and Tobias are going to try their best to outmaneuver Nehemiah, uh, but he just, he's been playing big league ball, and now he's down in D league. And it's like, Plus, he's got God on his side. He's got the will of God on his side. He's totally following God. Uh, it's, it's really no match, but it's ridiculous what they're going to do. So here we go. Uh, top of page one. All right, right there, just so I'll mention it. They have found that bowl. It belongs to Geshem, king of Kedar. And Kedar would be this area. Down in this area would include part of Arabia. So he's the king of that area. And it, it says right there, that which... Kaina, son of Gashmu, king of Kadar, brought in offering to Hanliot. That's what it's written on there, just like the, the wine bowl's got Artaxerxes, his name written on it. So that belongs either to Geshem or, uh, you know, one of his near relatives. Nonetheless, that's just interesting. That's found, matches the time period. We can break this into uh, five parts tonight, chapter 6, verse 1 through 4 is an attempt to lure Nehemiah 27 miles away from his house, away from Jerusalem, to this place right here, Anno. Uh, and you look at where it's at. Here's Samaria border. Here's Ashdod border. And that's like the very, very corner. You can't get any more in, in dangerous territory. It'd be like Netanyahu being invited to, to come over to the border of Gaza but Syria is the northern border, and he's surrounded by people from Jordan and Egypt coming up on this side. We just want to talk to you. Just come over here and talk to us. And it's like, they've already tried to kill you. Now they want to invite you. And Nehemiah is going to very diplomatically say, ah, but got a big project. Just can't, can't, can't break away. Uh, that's verses 1 through 4. Verses 5 through 9, they're going to send a letter Sanballat is going to send a letter to Jerusalem, to Nehemiah, and it's, it's going to be called an open letter. We call that a governmental media leak, where it's like it's secret information, but also the media knows all about it. How'd that happen? Well, there's insider information being transferred, and it's an open letter that's going to be sent to Nehemiah saying, we, we've heard these reports all around. All the nations are talking about it. Ammon and the Arabs, and Ashdod, and Samaria, even Geshem himself says he's heard about it, that you're planning on building that wall and becoming king. I mean, it's like some kind of a movement to find the Messiah, uh, and uh, they've even got, say that you've already lined up prophets to announce your, your kingship. We need a council. We need to get together and council, because, boy, this doesn't look good for you or the people. And Nehemiah's going to go like, no, we're not going to get together in council. But they're going to send it as an open letter, like they're helping him, like they're conspiring with him. Like, hey, we've got to help you with this. And then it's an open. So 
the whole, wherever it comes from, if it comes from Ano, I don't know if it comes from Samaria, uh, it's going to come, whoever carries it, which will be an official, anybody can read it and leak it or copy and paste it into an email, and everybody's going to know about it that Nehemiah is conspiring to be king, and Nehemiah's going to go, no. Then, because they talked about prophets being aligned and, and there to announce, just like when, when Saul was made king, Samuel announced him and anointed him. David was anointed. Solomon was anointed. Every time a king comes in, there's a prophet and an anointing. Uh, there's prophets getting lined up to anoint Nehemiah. No, there's not. So they go, well, then we'll, we'll hire one. And so verses 10 through 14 is they hire a prophet to invite Nehemiah over to his house, and he's going to prophesy. Uh, and it's, the prophecy is going to be like, they're going to kill you, Nehemiah, but I've got a plan. And he wants him to go hide in the temple, which, you know, just for his own safety. We just care about you, Nehemiah. But, of course, that's going to be a bad idea because he's not a priest. Might even be a eunuch. Plus, uh, God could kill him, or the people are going to dis disown him because you can't use the temple as your own fortress. And so it's a big, you know, he's going to embarrass himself. Then once he does it, they're going to taunt him. And it's going to be in all the headlines. Coward, Nehemiah, Nehemiah flees the temple. It's their idea, but once he steps in it, they exploit it. And Nehemiah's going to say, no, I'm not going to go to the temple. And then chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, the wall is finished. And the result is they're terrified. These nations are very much afraid of what just took place in Jerusalem. We're talking 52 days. Uh, make Judah great again. How many years is it going to take? Days. Or years. It's going to take days. It's a matter of 52 days. We got a wall. The gates are working and we're back in control. It's like, oh my gosh, if they did it that fast, where are they going? And Artaxerxes supports Nehemiah. Nehemiah is... Uh, a following in line with all the paperwork and these people have all been conspiring lying manipulating if it gets exposed they could all come down instead of him so they're very much afraid and that is kind of the way the book ends or the chapter ends uh, except for the fact that now it l ends up the chapter ends up that Tobias who lives over here has actually got an alignment with Jerusalem because They've married, in, their families have married together. They've got contracts, covenants, uh, and there's people on the inside that Nehemiah is going to find out are working against him. That these guys, every, people that are working for him, helping build the walls within the city, are in constant communication with Tobias and, of course, Sanballat and all the people around. And those people on the outside are sending them directions inside of Jerusalem. So he's going to avoid all these things. And finally, he's back in the city with the gates closed and their protection. But he finds out they're sending emails back. And letters are going back and forth between these people, not to help Nehemiah, but there's people actually trying to conspire against him on his staff. Uh, which, again, all this sounds so familiar, I think. But anyway, here we go. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Now, when Sanballat, Samaria, and Tobiah... Uh, that's the Ammonites, and Geshem, the Arab, uh, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. I'm going to move this right here. 
carefully. This is for your entertainment pleasure. I couldn't have done that the first night without dropping something. All right. Uh, Nehemiah. Uh, and the gates are set. I've got a few things here just so you can get a picture of what the gates are. There's a picture of the Joppa Gate. That's, on, that's right by Herod's Palace. We talk about Herod's Palace on Monday nights. Uh, that's right by Herod's Palace on the, on the west side. And that's Tony walking into that gate. And you're going to go into that gate like this. She's going to walk in and turn and come out here. So there could be a door here and there could be a door here. But this is, in a sense, the gate is built. This, is, this, is, this gate was not built at that time. But uh, it kind of shows you the ideal of what a gate. There's the walls and a gate. Turn the page. And I've got a couple other things to show you. Uh, the top picture at, is at Gezer, uh, which is generally right in this Oh, where's Gezer? There's Gezer, right? There's Gezer. It was given to Solomon by Pharaoh uh, as, a, as a wedding gift. When Pharaoh, uh, Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter, he went and burned down Gezer, killed all the people, says, there you go, there's a city for you, and conquered it for him and just kind of little, you know, sent him off happily with a little city to rebuild. There you go, guys. Anyway, this is Gezer, and it's probably a gate. This gate was probably built by Solomon. It's a six-chamber gate, and just so you can see, it, it looks like rubble there. Like Tony says, what did you see today? More rocks. Uh, if you look at it from the top down, it looks like this. And the same thing on this side. And then, of course, this is the walkway right here you'd enter in. And as you look at it, it's got a, it's got a, a dip. It's got like a little, well, the second picture is the same thing. Except in this one, I'm sitting in the second picture. I'm sitting right here in the gate of the city. See me sitting there, little, little guy sitting there? Um, but you see that little trough right there. What, is that where they walked? No, that would have been covered up with stones. And that, that little trough going right down here that's where water would run out of the city that was like the sewage or just the water the runoff would go there and it would be covered up and you'd walk on that that's it's exposed so that whole place right there is the road coming in and out but each of these chambers and again it wouldn't be built like that it'd be built up like that joppa gate was so it's gonna it's gonna be tall but these would all be uh for example there may be a, an altar or something or an image of a god right here that when you come into the city you'd offer an incense they've seen those they've found those or there'd be benches that's why i'm sitting there i wanted tony to take a picture of me sitting in the like that's where the leadership sat well in, in ruth the men met at the the gate of the city and that's where they negotiated property and different sales and so this would be like the courthouse could be here you're going to have your paperwork turning your paperwork in here whatever is going on in the ancient city these are the places. They may be shops. It'd be great real estate to have a shop, you know, sell water or something. But these was all finished and probably wood covered the walls. It wasn't just stone. It was covered with wood and decorative. Uh, so you can kind of get an idea. Uh, the picture on the top of page two is looking at both sides of it, looking out towards the outside of the city. The picture in the middle is, you can't see the right side, but you can see the one, two, three chambers uh, you can see behind me there in that, that second picture, there's a, some kind of a, a, tr a box, a little stone box here. That might have been water. That might have been some kind of a water source right there. 
uh, for example. And then, of course, the bottom picture is the horse gate, which we've seen over there on the other side. We've talked about that. That's just the same picture. But, again, you can see the white line there where I'm walking in, or you can walk in, the follow the dotted line, and you'd come in one gate, walk through the large tower that was part of the gate system, through a four-chamber gate there, past the water trough there, the water room, into the city. So when you walk through the gate, you're not walking through like a, like a thing of a fence, and you open the gate and walk in. It's not like just a wall with a little door on it. Uh, it's it's a, a, a complex that you'd walk through. Nonetheless, Nehemiah has all of the stonework done for the gates. You can, you can walk in and out of the gates. They're probably finishing the gates. But what he hasn't done yet is got the doors set, meaning they're, they're hinged in somehow, and they can open and close and then put a beam on. They haven't done that yet. But the people have heard this. His enemies have heard that the wall's done, the gates are built because that's part of the wall. The only thing they need to do is get doors on these gates, and that's what's going to take place during this chapter. So it's chapter 6, verse 2, page 3. Sanballat, Samaria, Geshem, the Arab, sent to me, saying, they sent a messenger, and they sent to him, saying, Come, and let us meet together at Hecatharium in the plain of Ano. But they intended to do me harm. Now, to help you out with that, I've got it in the Hebrew there. And it says, among the words are translated, like that word that is Hecatharium is literally translated among the villages on the plain of Ano. So in this particular English Standard Version, at Hecatharium in the plain of Ano, that could be in the villages or among the villages on the plain of Ano. And this is the city of Ano right up here. So he, it's 27 miles away from Jerusalem. It's more than a day's journey, so take him two days to get there. And he's out here on the outskirts of Judea, just a few yards away from where his territory ends, with Samaria, Ashdod, and Geshem, of course, is part of this. His name is popping up now. They want him to get over here. And he says, it's to do me harm. And so I've got some of those things written down there uh, that this is called the first plan. Chapter 6, verse 3, what does he do? And I sent messengers to them. They sent messengers to him. Come, let's counsel together. Let's counsel the most difficult place to go, the most dangerous. Let's get right up there on the border of the Gaza Strip, and let's talk about a peace negotiation. Syria is going to be there too with some tanks. It's like, oh uh, yeah, I'm not going to come. But he doesn't accuse them. He doesn't say, you know, make me. He doesn't threaten them. He simply says, again, he's a, he's a diplomat. He's wise. He knows what he's doing. He's played big league before. He says, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm in the middle of a big project. Got a great work. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Now again, that, that could be, you know, it's like, is that insult? Why should I stop what I'm doing and waste my time with you? You could take that derogatory. Or it could just be, like I, I wrote here, basically Nehemiah says, I am deep into a huge project. I can't take time away for a personal trip right now. It's like, why should I come down? You could say it. Why should I come down to you? Uh, it's like, well, you, he's not going to be aggressive like that. It's like, no, I, I can't take time away to come and take a personal trip right now because I got a great project. We're in the middle of something really big here. I got I to stay. I got, it's busy season. So it's just, he doesn't, again, I know what you're up to and threaten them or just says, I can't make it. So they go, hmm, now what are you going to do? 
Well, what they're going to do is ask him three more times. They're going to send messengers three more times to ask him three more times. They, again, these people first came in, they're trying to uh, discourage him. They don't want him messing with their system. Now they're to a point where he's so far into the project where he's getting ready to put the doors on, they're scared of what the repercussions are going to be. They're, they're panicking right now. At first, they're just being aggressive, kind of cocky. What are you going to do? You, we've, you're never, no, people have tried. They never got this done before. They're like, my gosh, he's doing it. Oh, we've never thought about what would happen to us if he actually finishes it. And now they're in panic mode. Uh, chapter 6, verse 4. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So they're going to be dumb enough to send it four times? Well, I'm dumb enough to send them the same answer. Great project. But you can see that's, that's now tension building. When they invite you four times and they just keep going, uh, they're being rude. They're being uh, obnoxious. They're not listening to you. There's, there's, uh, there's something they're going to follow up. Why don't they follow up with something else? They really don't have any other options except to get him over here. So, uh, page four. Now, there's, a, there's the same map as you see here, except expanded. And you can see the other countries around there. And I will say on this one, you can see Idumea, which is now overrun by Geshem. And he has got a palace at Lachish. They have, Lachish fell to the Assyrians. It falls to the Babylonians. Uh, but they did find uh, a Persian palace built there that was occupied by Arabs at Lakey. So Geshem has come up that far. So you can see Nehemiah in Judah is tight. I mean, they've got people. And again, we can see this map here, as you've seen before. That's Judah right there, that little spot right there. And they're surrounded by all this. So much like a map today. If you look at a map of Israel today and the Muslim world, all, you've seen one of those maps with a little dot of Israel and it's like, oh, they're oppressing everybody. Then you look to the all around, to the north, all the way to the east, all across the south, all the way across North Africa. It's all Muslim. It's like, and, and, and Israel's, they can't control Israel. Uh, anyway, it's just interesting. Very similar to this situation. Okay, chapter 6, verse 5. Page 4. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter. So the first time... It's an invite, and he sends a servant with an invite to travel. Now he sends the second plan. This is the second plan of attack. Is an open letter, and that is intentional. That is what we would call a, a leak, a, a, a governmental leak to the press. Who, who, who said this? How do they know what we're talking about? Someone on the inside leaked it to the press. That's what this open letter is. Wherever they're traveling from, Samaria or Anno, wherever they're coming from, someone's going to carry it. And uh, I've got this for your own entertainment pleasure. I've got the bottom of page four. I've got two seals. That first, a seal, uh, that's what you're going to press into clay to seal a document. And I'll, I'll show you that too in a moment. That first one's from 2000, 1000 BC. It's from Iran. And it's got a little cross on it uh, or an X. And you can see how it would be held. You could pinch it together with your fingers on the top where that hole's at. But the hole would also be something you could wear around their neck. Like when uh, Jacob or Judah had a seal that he gave away. This is what he would have had. He would have had this and he gave it away. And when, when the, she says, whose seal is this? She took it out. It would be just like this. Uh, and right around this time period, it would be very, very similar to this. 
uh, to have a string in it, wear around his neck. And they'd press that into clay. Here's one on the second one is one from 700 B.C. Uh, very similar, uh, and it's authentic. They're both authentic. The, the black on the left side is the seal, but it's very similar to the, the image on Hezekiah's winged seal that was found, or the bula that was found. And then the part on the right is a modern impression pressed down into a piece of, you know, clay or plastic. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a synthetic. It's, it's not Plato, but it's not clay. And you can see that impression right there. And so that would have been the seal, what would have been used at that time to press it on a piece of clay. Turn the page over, page 5. And there is a piece of bula or a piece of clay, the back side. The other side would have an image on it that was the image of the seal. This is the side that was pressed against the papyrus. And uh, you can even see on this black and white photo, you can see the papyrus lines, the lines of the reeds going across it. That was because it sealed a document. And then I'm holding my hand over here, a piece of papyrus that they would have written a little note and they would have rolled it up, put a piece of clay on it, and then sealed it with a ring or with a, a seal like we saw on the other page, and seal it and says to a messenger, carry this. And it's, it's, it's potentially the death penalty. I mean, what does the death penalty mean anymore? I mean, it's, it means 30 days in prison, I guess, and then released. Uh, but in those days, if you would be responsible, it would get broken open you're reading someone's email. You're reading an official document that's assigned to the governor and, and the seal got broke. And it, it would be your life or it would be something. They didn't do any of that. They're, they're going to write a very important letter to Nehemiah. And it, it's got to do with a conspiracy. We've heard these rumors. We know what we've heard what you're trying to do. If it's true or if it's not true, we've got to take care of this. Now, at first you read it, it's like they're accusing him of this. But that's a big deal. They're gonna, what, what can they do? What, what's Sanballat's going to accuse him of something? What's Sanballat going to do? Come down and try him? It's like you can't, you've got no jurisdiction. What you've got to do is create a situation where everybody knows this is true and push it up the ladder to Artaxerxes, where Artaxerxes has to take action, which means those that are creating the, the, the problem or the conspiracy, are just waiting for it to explode, and they'll duck out of the way while Nehemiah goes down. So, chapter 6, verse 6. In this document, this open letter that was sent to him, it was written, quote, It is reported among the nations. What nations? Well, Samaria, Ashdod, Arab, Ammon. Those are, again, don't think nations. This is a local, small little local matter. Nehemiah is doing it. And the people that are scared are the surrounding nations. And they're trying this. They could just turn their back, go home, take care of Samaria, take care of Ashdod. Go your way. We're taking care of Judah. We don't want to lose Judah. So it's a big deal for these people. But once you get outside this little area, no one cares. But they've got to make it sound big. And so here it is. It is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it. Even Geshem. We don't know how he found out about it. Geshem found out about it also. The Arabs know about it. Uh, and Geshem also says it. That you and the Jews 
intend to rebel. You're, you're, it's, it's reported. Now, they're not saying, we found this out and we're going to come get you. They can't, they can't even get in there to have a meeting with him. That's why they want him to come over here. They're going to they're be advising him on, let's get together and let's talk about this. Maybe we can help you. Because this is going to sound really bad when Artaxerxes finds out about it. And that is why you are building the wall. That you're planning on rebelling. The Jews are planning on rebelling against the Persians. So you're pre-planning and building this wall to start your revolt. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Now we're not saying that. That's just what we're hearing. That you plan on being king after you revolt against Artaxerxes. Now again, if you know Nehemiah, that's not his intention. That's otherwise, Artaxerxes wouldn't do this. But they're trying to scare him. And it's not just a private email. It somehow got through the, the filter, and everyone on staff got it. All the Jews got the email. I don't know how that happened. They've, that you're leading a, a rebellion, and if, if Nehemiah is leading a rebellion, and you help build the wall, you're all going to be enslaved. And any of your officials that are working with you, Nehemiah, uh, when they find out about this, they're going to like abandon ship. It's like, no, we're not going to support this. So they're, in a sense, undermining all of his support. It's not just Nehemiah. You could get in trouble. It's like, no, Nehemiah, if they're just trying to scare him, they'd send him a private letter. They're sending an open letter so everyone finds out about it. It's like, and they're all like, what's he doing? He wants to be king. Nehemiah's trying to be, what? And you know, if you've got the media on your side, you've got the talk shows on your side, you've got inside people in Jerusalem. The chapter ends with people on the inside that are already getting letters and sending letters to Sanballat and Tobias. They're in there printing stuff and, and putting posters up. It's like, you know, stop Nehemiah. You know, he, whatever. That's all, I mean, that's what's happening right here. And according to these reports, you wish to become king. Verse 7. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. You've, they say that you've got prophets set up already to proclaim you king. Just like Samuel proclaimed Saul as king, you've got prophets set up. And Nehemiah's like, no, I don't. But guess what? The very next thing, number three, he does. He's got prophets that are set up, ready to proclaim oracles as a seer and say, thus saith the Lord. Where'd they come from? Oh, they're on the payroll. They're on the payroll for Sanballat. It's like, so he's got these, there's also prophets that are ready to proclaim. No, there's not. Why, look, right here's a whole group of them. What are you guys getting ready to do? Oh, great is the king Nehemiah. It's like, what? It's like, they're getting paid to do it. So it's really like, it looks bad for Nehemiah. And you also said now, you also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. And here's what they're going to say, quote, there is a king in Judah. Now, this is got support biblically. It's got support culturally. Uh, they used to have a king that when the Babylon destroyed them, they had a king. And there's Jeremiah, Daniel, even recent prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, have talked about the king. The king, he'll be king over the whole earth. And so they're not thinking Jesus. They're not thinking New Testament. They're thinking those prophecies are waiting to be fulfilled even at that moment. Daniel talked about the stone that knocks the, the feet. Now, all those prophecies, we think, ah, oh, they're future. Or are we living in the end times? They're thinking the same thing. And they're saying, Nehemiah, these prophets, and there's going to be other people, just innocent people are going to get caught up in this, 
eschatological frenzy of, ah, this is the son of David. Now, we don't know what lineage he's from. He's not a priest. I don't know if he's from Judah. You would think they would say that would be a big deal. If he's from the line of Judah and all these Jews know their lineage, otherwise they're out. So Nehemiah would know his lineage, and he's probably not from Judah. But the people would also, I mean, this could be a big, big social blunder for him. And now the, and now the king will hear of these reports. Okay, those, the, the prophets are going to say there is a king in Judah, and now the king, Artaxerxes, will hear these reports. Nehemiah, you're in trouble. All these nations are talking about it. Even Geshem, the Arab, his territory comes all the way over here, Nick, right, above, right up next to Babylon. He even has heard this, that you're building the wall because you and the Jews are planning on rebelling and you plan on becoming king. In fact, we've heard that there's prophets in there preparing to utter oracles about this. Here is our king. Now, so now come, let us take counsel together. We're here to help. You have a problem and we want to counsel you through this problem because when Artaxerxes finds out about it the people are going to captivity all your officials are going to be executed and who knows what's going to happen to you but hey we can nip this in the bud Geshem Tobias Sambalet a couple guys from Ashdod let's get together and and let's figure this out oh and Nehemiah's like oh no the rumor mill chapter 6 verse 8 then I sent to him saying, so he sent him a letter. No such thing as you say have been done. There's no prophets. There's no rebellion. There's no talk of a rebellion. I'm not going to be king. In fact, I'm on a 12-year lease. I'm heading back to Nehemiah or Artaxerxes at the end of 12 years. We'll find that out here. No such thing as you say ha- have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. This is not real. This is false news. This is, he says, right, he says, this is fake news. That's what he says right there. He says it. You are inventing them out of your own mind. This is not reality. Uh, and I write point one, he played political ball in the big leagues. He's not going to get caught in this. And point two, Nehemiah says literally, and that, that would be literally in the, in the in, we can, yeah, I've got the Hebrew there. These things are not being done these things you say are not being done they are not in the realm of reality they are not existing because you invented them in your own heart that's a little translation out of the hebrew these things you say are not being done because you invented them in your own heart or then i modernized it this is not reality but is fake news created by you and that's what he said that's the letter back uh i'm not scared by this report uh because you made it up. And the only people that know about it are those that read your article in the, in the newspaper or saw your podcast. So, yeah, it's not going to happen. Plus, again, he's got direct connection with Artaxerxes, who if he hears a report uh, that Nehemiah is down here building the city, all of a sudden he wants to become king. It's like, Nehemiah wants to be king? I mean, Artaxerxes probably isn't going to believe it. Okay. And now chapter 6, verse 9. For they all wanted to frighten us. Notice he says us, not me. They did not want to just frighten me, us. Because the, if the people read this in the papers, they realize if Artaxerxes marches on them, they're going back into slavery. The officials that helped him conspire are going to be lined up and executed. 
Uh, so he says they want to frighten us. They're trying to, well, it says on, their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. The last phase of getting the doors on the gates, all of a sudden the people realize, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. They think we're going to lead a revolt and they're going to be completely consumed. Let's say your government is falling apart and your economy is crashing, your president won't get off the beach, but there's an election in like 12 months. Let's invade Israel with Hamas. And all of a sudden, don't worry about this, don't worry about that. Oh my gosh, World War III. It's like, and we're all going to die. We're all going to die. Just, just whatever, just through this election. It's like, they got something else in mind here, and they want them to take, and the issue is, we can't have them finish the wall. Get them worried about something else like here comes the the, the persians are going to kill us because nehemiah wants to be king let's stop him ourselves and he says for they wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work they'll stop paying attention and it will not be done and i write these things right here uh frighten nehemiah his officials the jews this would be the final distraction that would dishearten the Jews, get them worried and working on some other problem, the fake problem. They're solving a fake problem. A fake problem like, like uh, Ukraine, you know. Here's a problem. Oh, it's, no, just stop. It's not a problem. It's stop. I'm not a politician, but that would be an example of we've got a fake problem. And everybody rushes over there. Meanwhile, we've got real problems. And don't want to talk about that. Meanwhile, we'll talk about the fake. And that's ex these people fell for, or these, they didn't fall for the fake problem. There's no king. There's no Messiah. We're not going to revolt against Persia. And the Persian emperor doesn't think we're going to. So go away. Fake news. But if they'd start worrying about it, all of a sudden they'd stop, take care of business, and they could maintain control of Judah. Okay. Uh, and then Nehemiah. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. I'm not falling for this. Strengthen my hands because what I am doing is finishing the wall. Chapter 6, verse 10. Now, that's, that was the second problem. Here is the third problem. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahetabel, who was confined to his home, he said. Now, all of a sudden, I mean, we just switch subjects. So now, Nehemiah is in Jerusalem. And he goes to the house. The governor goes to the house of Shemaiah. Now, Shemaiah is, well, he's a prophet, but he's confined. He's confined. The reason the prophet didn't go to the governor is because the prophet is confined to his house. Maybe he's crippled. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he's unclean. I'll give you a list of reasons. None of them make sense. But nonetheless, the governor has to go to Shemaiah's house because Shemaiah has a word for the governor. And here's his word. I'll just read. Here's the, here's the oracle. Here's the prophecy. Here's the guidance from God that Shemaiah provides for Nehemiah who went to Shemaiah's house because Shemaiah couldn't leave the house. Ooh, kind of spooky. The prophet can't leave. The governor's got to come. Probably he's got some kind of, you know, like Saul going to the witch of Endora. So it's not that bad. Uh, but here's the word. We have, fortunately, we know what the prophecy was that God uttered to Nehemiah. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. 
Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Oh, scary, scary. So Nehemiah, now again, you say, that's stupid. Why would the governor listen to a prophet? Okay, we got to put this back in context. Because prophets announced the Babylonian destruction and captivity. Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Daniel prophesied of all the details that were taking place while they're in Babylon, along with Ezekiel. And when the exiles got back, they kind of hit a sluggish time. They didn't get much done until two prophets arose, Haggai and Zechariah. And both of them had personal words for the high priest and the governor. In fact, there's a lot of references to Zerubbabel and the governor and to Joshua, the high priest. And that was just a few years ago. I mean, 520. 516. These guys, I mean, that was just like within that generation, there's prophets guiding, giving words to the priest and the governor. So this is not out of line. It's not like, why would there be a prophet guiding the governor? Because there always is a prophet guiding the king or the governor, even at this time. So Nehemiah goes to the house. And the word, the word is, Nehemiah, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you tonight. Thus saith the Lord. So Nehemiah, your only hope. You, got, you have to flee to the temple. Run into the temple and we'll shut the doors of the temple that we came back to rebuild and anoint for God. But you can only survive if you run to the temple and shut the doors, turn the temple of God into your personal fortress. This is what the Lord saith unto you. Now, I mean, look at all the, Nehemiah, they had all these different, come here, read this letter, fake news, open letters. Now the prophet, Nehemiah's like, okay, he could say, that doesn't make sense. One, I'm not a priest. I can't just go into the temple. Two, if I do go into the temple and shut the doors, it makes it unclean. I upset all the Jews and they'll kill me. So if I go to the temple and hide, I get killed by God, potentially. If I go to the temple and hide, the Jews will reject me. And then, well, here's what, here's what he says. Uh, let's look at some notes here. The third plan, Sanballat and Tobiah had contracts and agreements with Nehemiah's own Jewish community. We're going to find out towards the end of the chapter, there were other prophets involved in this. It wasn't just one guy. There's a whole community of prophets that joined with. This is just the one that was mentioned. Uh, the enemies could not get Nehemiah out of the city. The enemy could not get the city distracted with rumors. So the enemy pulled some strings with connections they had in the city. Sambalat hired a Jew inside the city to claim they had a word from God, an oracle or a prophecy to guide Nehemiah. Uh, this is not ridiculous. I explained that, point three. Point four, the false prophet Shemaiah was confined to his house. He could not leave for some reason. I do not know what the reason is. I'm going to give you four reasons. And there's only one that I think is reasonable, but I don't know. I don't know why he couldn't leave. He's confined to his house. Number one, um, he was maybe uh, unclean for ritual purity, uh, but yet he had an oracle, meaning he couldn't leave his house. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he's unclean. He can't leave. So Nehemiah somehow has got to go to the guy's house. The governor goes to the guy's house. He's trying to build a wall, get the gates hung. He goes to the house of a prophet who's on the payroll of Sanballat. Uh, the word you can see in there uh, at the very top left of the corner, it says a secret informer is translated in the Hebrew box. It's a sure, it means to restrain or to retain. 
Some think that could be an, the prophet is having an ecstatic experience, meaning he's in a spell. He's retained by the Spirit of God, like Ezekiel would go into a trance and not talk or not speak or not move, and then God would speak through him. The prophet maybe can't move. Or because Ezekiel was right before this in Babylon, he's fake. This is all fake. It's like this is not the Spirit of God. He's not having a vision. And if he is in some kind of spiritual state, it's a fake spiritual state. But he may be faking like Ezekiel, or Ezekiel wasn't faking, but he may be imitating Ezekiel like, uh, go get Nehemiah, I can't leave until Nehemiah comes, until Nehemiah comes. Uh, if that's the, true or not, the reason for that, that's not a normal meaning of the word, but it could work. Uh, uh, point C on the top of page 8, the governor of the land, Nehemiah, made the effort and took the time to go to the seer's house uh, while the seer did not even bother visiting the subject of his prophecy, most likely Shemaiah is acting out oh, like Ezekiel, what Nehemiah is going to have to do to keep himself safe. This is what I would go with. He's confined to his house because he's acting out what Nehemiah is going to have to do. You're going to have to be confined to the temple. Just like I'm confined in my house for protection, you've got to be confined to the temple. I, I don't think that. I, I don't know. I don't know why he's confined to the house. Nonetheless, it's a lie. I mean, the guy could leave if he wanted to. It's not an act of God. But why Nehemiah goes, I don't understand that either. But nonetheless, we just get in the middle of the story. He goes to Shemaiah's house, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. And if he doesn't go to the temple, he's going to die. Uh, point five, the prophecy is poetic, ending in a repeated threat. They're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. That's how the prophecy ends. The plan, go to the temple and hide the problem. A, Nehemiah is not a priest. He could nullify any respect the Jews did have for him and could get killed by God. Plus, Nehemiah is in Jerusalem to lead the people, not hide from the people. Uh, this would nullify Nehemiah as leader since he was fearful in hiding. Kind of like sitting at, well, I write this, just grab, grab it. Kind of like sitting at the beach while your nation is lured into war in the Middle East. It's I just, I don't know, just something I, if it ever would fit. Chapter 6, verse 11. But I said, but Nehemiah says, and he says, should such a man as I run away? And that doesn't mean I am the great man. It's like, I am the leader. I am the governor. I'm here to lead the people. Should I run away? Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? Now, when he says such as I, that can mean both natural and spiritual. Such a man as I, not being a priest, you can't just go to the temple. There's people died doing that. Or he could be a eunuch, which makes him unclean. He can't go into the temple. Or he's the governor. You think I am going to go into the temple and the people are going to put up with it and not kill me? I mean, if I go to the temple, I'm a dead man. Either God kills me or the people kill me. I'll stay out here and take my chances against these guys that I have, they're just making stuff up. So he says, but I, but I said, should such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. So he just flat out looks at the prophet and says, you got to go tonight or they'll kill you tonight. Thus saith the Lord, I will not go. <laughs> now you don't talk to Yahweh like that. So he's not too afraid of this prophet. Uh, and I understood and saw that God was, had not sent him. So he went to hear the word of God from the prophet, but when he heard the word, it's like, yeah, that's not the word of God. Because it, 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 
contradicts the Word of God. And I understood and I saw that God, now again, understood and saw. Interesting, two things right there. Uh, understood and then saw. Is, is there just, are they synonyms or are they talking about understood from the, the Word of God, my knowledge of the Word of God, and saw the situation? This isn't God. So he walked away from it. Had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalet had hired him. You're on the payroll. Maybe you saw the check laying on the table. Maybe he found the check, you know, the smoking gun. Uh, I, clearly this is not, you've been hired. Uh, chapter 6, verse 16, For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and it would be a sin to run away from his responsibilities and a sin to enter the temple. But if he acted that way, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. So they're setting this whole thing up for me to go this. They get, when he goes, now once he steps in there, we say, oh, look at the coward. And they start taunting him. So he, he not only avoids the problem, he knows what the end game is. They want me to go. I could get killed, but if I do go and I don't get killed, they're going to just taunt me for being a coward. Where's, where's, where's your leader? He's hiding in the temple. He's, a, he's scared. He had a prophecy from God. <clears throat> For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Chapter 6, verse 14. Nehemiah uh, is not going to do just the opposite of pr praying a prayer of blessing. He's not necessarily going to curse them, but he's going to ask God to remember them. And remember, when, he when, remember, when they say remember, when God remembers something, that's when he recalls what he's going to do, what he's like. God remembered Noah on the ark and began to dry up the earth. It's not like he's like, I forgot, I got Noah floating. It's not he remembers. That means it's now time for he calls it to remembrance and acts on it. So when it says remember, that's not like someday in the future, God will go like, ha, ah, I got to remember to punish Tobiah. It's like, no, act on this. The remembering is a point of action. So remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God according to these things that they did. And also, so he said, remember them for what they've been doing to me, these three attacks. But now here's some information. And also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So we have Shemaiah in the story, but there's also a prophetess involved in it. Maybe there's several prophets in there chanting and giving oracles, and we don't know the details, but he brings down this whole group of prophets who were on the payroll of Sanballat. So he's, he's dodged those bullets. Chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. Now when it says the wall was finished, that means the gates are swimming. The, sw swimming. the gates are swinging. The beam comes down. We started the chapter with the stones all up, the gates structure, but now the doors are functioning. Chapter 6, verse 16. The last problem. And when our enemies heard of it, that the gates were shutting and opening, that we are now in control of our fortress, all the nations around us, all these nations around them, Ammon, uh, Samaria, Ashdod, the Arabs, all the nations around us were afraid. Isn't that interesting? Were afraid. Not just disappointed, but they were afraid. They're fearful of something. And fell greatly in their own esteem. Or fell greatly in their own esteem. How powerful they were, you'll never get it done. They realize Nehemiah is out of our league. He did something in 52 days. I don't think we could ever accomplish that. It's like, he's, 
He's headed to the big leagues. In fact, he is. He's heading back to Sousa here in a few years. Greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. They're fighting against a great Persian governor who's backed by Yahweh himself. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, these are like Bible stories. This is like Jericho falling. These are like, this, this is unheard of. And they realized they're terrified of what is happening right here in Jerusalem. Chapter 6, verse 17, moreover, he says, one more thing. I got to tell you what's going on in the city now. We got the walls built, the gates are working. But listen, in those days, the nobles of Judah, nobles of Judah, the elite, the leaders that he's working with, that he's trying to rebuild their city, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, over here, the Ammonite over here, sending many letters to him. And that those are business deals or transactions or political favors. They're working in step with each other. They sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. They've got contact back and forth. I've got the wall built. The gates are working. Okay, we're ready to go. But my people are still sending emails to Tobiah, and Tobiah is still sending emails to them. They're still in cohorts with each other, doing business. They're making political plans. They're still working against Nehemiah. His own nobles are. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. He'll take care of that later. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, we would say had contracts with him, and these contracts were sealed because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. They, and that includes they're going to end up getting married into the priesthood. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And see right there, also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence. In other words, they were campaigning for him. The, his, the nobles that Nehemiah was fighting these guys, they were campaigning. Oh, well, we just got an email. He's got some great plans. He's got some good insight. What? Tobiah, he's trying to destroy. He's trying to use you like a pawn. They spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. So they're promoting him to me. But all of my plans are going straight to him. I talk to my nobles. I talk to my staff. Staff meeting's over. They go out, send an email to Tobias so they know exactly what we're planning. Then they come back and tell me, oh, what a great guy. What a great guy. And then they tell, it's like, I mean, he's, he's standing on a, 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 a pillar of sand. I mean, he can't, can't build it. So he prays. And they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. He's still trying, his own nobles are telling, we don't know all the details, but it's a constant barrage coming against Nehemiah of trying to stop him from getting this done. Even after it's, the walls are done, they're going to try to undermine him. So that is chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Again, you can see the, the political schemes, the, the palace shenanigans, all these things going on. And Nehemiah being able to read through the whole thing, stay on course, and get the job done that God has called him to do, which is amazing. And again, how close the parallels are. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, our situation and this, like the world hasn't changed, and uh, which we all know. Okay, I'll pray, and you're free to go. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would find direction and guidance. 
that we take Nehemiah's example of, of faith and courage, of doing things, but also turning to you for support, that we take those into our own lives and act in the same way. We do thank you for this. We pray for our nation. We ask that we may see revival, that we would turn to you, just like Nehemiah trusted in you and asked you for help and for strength. We ask for strength in our nation not just for our own benefit, but that we would turn to righteousness and not that you would bless our wickedness, that you would help us turn to righteousness as a nation, making just laws and making just decrees as we treat people righteously. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.